0: Hey listeners! In our podcast, we tell stories of true crime and hauntings. And these stories can sometimes contain gruesome and explicit details. This podcast is not intended for listeners who may not want to listen to the graphic description of true crime events. It may cause triggers. Our hosts are by no means experts on any subject matter they discuss. They're just two friends telling you true stories from our home, In the Pacific Northwest. Thanks, and enjoy the show. Or don't. That's okay, too.
1: Am I looking that good today? Pull your mic to your snout. Now speak. Speak, rover.
2: Oh, hey Kezia, how are you doing today? Is that a possum on your shirt? Dude, don't even move. I need to show you what your shirt looks like right now because I'm guessing it's supposed to be a wolf. It's a
1: wolf, it looks like a possum. Kate, I'm checking levels. That's check, fine. check, 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 check,
2: check. Check, 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 because he's got a possum shirt.
1: It's not a possum. I'm
2: going to show you what this it looks it's like. It's an
1: awesome f- possum. It
2: looks like an aardvark slash possum.
1: It's the way your shirt is folded. Whoa! <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, that's like so weird. There's a fucking possum
2: on your shirt. I Fuzzy love possum. It. The picture is going to be terrible because I cut off everything. No but more your mu-
1: chins. Remember we yeah. promised... Oh, you got no
2: chin. You just got a nice little hole for your mouth.
1: <laughs> no more double chin posts. Kate. Possum. Wolf. Tonight we have a G&T on the rocks.
2: Except I don't because I'm not drinking. Cheers.
1: Yeah, it's a virgin.
2: It's just tonic and ice. Gross. Gross. I'm
1: not an animal. There's definitely some gin in here. I would hope that you're not an animal.
2: Speaking of animals, Kezia has a possum on her sweatshirt.
1: It is... Not a possum. awesome.
2: Your upper tummy roll rolled the snout down in half, and so your wolf turned into a possum face. Wait a minute. Am I even thinking of the right animal? Do they have, uh, like... Aardvark. Like
1: a long snout? Yeah, but not an aardvark. It's like an anteater.
2: No. Yeah. What's the
1: difference between an aardvark and an anteater? Mm, one eats ants and the other eats bark. <laughs> it's not an aardvark. <laughs> I <laughs> I know. <laughs> art bark, <laughs> maybe they. I don't know. Um, okay, okay. I I just had a, I had a Sasquatch thought today when I was driving back from Mount Washington.
2: That doesn't surprise me in any way.
1: And I and I needed to write it down so I don't forget to tell you. Okay, so you had a question about how um, over all the years that they've taken down forests, how have they never found like to build homes and stuff? They've never found Sasquatch bones. So I had a theory for that as I was driving home that you mostly see them in really steep I would say sometimes like steep mountainsides and stuff they probably bury the bodies where they know people aren't gonna go so like on super crazy elevations or like very steep mountainsides that like people don't normally trek to that's probably where they're buried
2: okay so that would maybe solve that for let's say 95% 95% of the deaths, Sasquatch deaths. What about the, f- the few that are they die when they're by themselves and there's no one there to find them and bury them? I think
1: they sniff the bodies out and oh they, take them. they take them somewhere where no one's going to find them.
2: Okay, you definitely have an answer for everything. I think so. so. You should be the Sasquatch king.
1: I'll Sasquatch you under the
2: table, you bro. Fucking, you already have. <laughs> <laughs> Sasquatch right the fuck out of here. Um, hi, Darla. Hi, Kezia. How are you? Good, how are you? Good. I like your top knot today. Thanks. I like your top... No, it's a pony. pony. You've
1: got a lot of volume. It's because my hair's clean. I washed it. It
2: totally looks like a, a bow on top of a per- birthday gift.
1: Well, that's cute. Like a
2: ribbony bow. I'm Tonight,
1: I'm your gift.
2: You are my gift. <laughs> Thanks.
1: Um, guys, welcome back to Radio Face Stories. The podcast.
2: Where we tell you stories... That are questionable... At best. They're they're mediocre.
1: Yeah. <laughs> they're okay They're great. They're okay.
2: They're, I mean they're great. They're but, factual. But
1: they're well, most of the time. They're funny. We're funny. We the ca- stories aren't I mean, funny. The stories aren't supposed to be funny. They're not funny. They're not funny. they're serious. We try to be a little bit funny. We're serious though. Mostly we're serious. I mean, yeah. Um, do you have any do you have anything to share? What's been going on in Darla's world? Not a lot. To the point that the one thing I
2: have to talk about, I even wrote it down was today. When I went to sit down, I was at work, so sitting down in a a very tiny little chair. To be fair, it's a kid desk, so I'm I'm going to sit down to do something at this little table. And while I sat down, I thought, oh my goodness. And I felt like the oldest person alive. Like, you know how old people, when they sit down, they're like, oh goodness gracious. Yeah. That is what I like said. And the little kid beside me just like looked at me. I'm like, I'm okay. (laughs) Just sitting down. But I felt so incredibly old. Yeah. Like, just to say something as you're sitting, because the act of sitting, is your is exhausting or yeah. something? Yeah, that's literally the only thing I had to say today.
1: Well, I, I I've noticed because I like when I take videos of I'm doing physical activity, when I like play them back and I, I hear the the audio, yeah. I'm like heavily out of breath constantly. <laughs> right. And listening back, I'm like, man, I sound like an old lady. Like, why am I breathing so heavily? Like, the, I'm the, constantly out of breath.
2: The worst is when I'm on the phone with like Pat when he's working away. And I'll just be getting in or doing something, and he's like, "Were you just running?" And I'm like, "No, I literally just walked up like w- four <laughs> stairs." I'm sorry. With my, he's <laughs> like, "Oh, sounds like you're out for a jog." I'm like, oh, "Shit, it's bad news, man. It's bad news.
1: It's bad news. We're getting old." No. I once in the, in you the summer. You should get a
2: scooter and scoot, not, scoot. That's not fucking cool. Scoot, scoot! Here comes Darla. Scoot, <laughs> scoot! <laughs> I get one with like a little seat on it. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Yes. Well, uh, I a uh, motorized one. I
2: went on Emory Skateboard in the summer when she was in skateboard camp. So, just like in our little cul-de-sac here. I was on that. I'm like, I'll just, there's nobody around. I'll just like see how this feels because I don't skateboard at all. So, like, you know, I went for like a little push, got my balance, tried it again. One of my neighbors yelled from the window, "Look, it's Darla Hawk!" and like started laughing. Like Darla Hawk, like Tony Hawk. I oh guess that was the God. joke. But I was like, Ugh. "You son of a bitch!" Like I stand on this thing for two seconds, thinking no one's around, and I go- and he took a picture, sent it to Pat, who wasn't even there. I was like, "It's not like I was." Well, at least you didn't fall, and you. <laughs> I didn't even have just- a chance to fall. I like just barely touched the skateboard, and I was like, "Oh look, <laughs>
1: Anyways, Darla." That's Hawk. why I don't try things. Darla Hawk, you are now Darla Hawk. <laughs> <laughs> that's not a hawk sound. What the fuck? I don't know. Um.
2: No. No, that's like a dinosaur. <laughs> Apparently, we're not good at bir- bird noises.
1: I can do any other bird, but...
2: I do an owl. Ooh. Ooh.
1: Wait, <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Let me get my barons.
2: Did you say Ooh. your bearings? Bearings. Oh. Ooh. Ooh. Uh, okay. No, that's
1: Woodpecker. not an owl. Woodpecker. Woodpecker. <laughs> Oh, remember that? remember that TikTok? Okay, wait, make this sound. <laughs> okay, you make you make this sound. <laughs> oh, that was, that was pretty good. Okay, Darla, make this sound. <laughs> oh, that wasn't right. That wasn't right. Punk. <laughs> <laughs> You're an idiot. Punk. Okay, I got one. I'm going to make this sound. That's the sound of Jesus' lighting. Ooh.
2: <laughs> that was very spiritual sounding. Can you make this sound. <laughs> you're good at this. Do you do you practice at home? I'm,
1: I'm pretty good at... Um, I can do impersonations really well. Kay. I can do accents. I can do sounds, I guess. It's like you're trying to get a new job. What else can you do? I w- okay, a, a job that I would have loved to do was like... Um, Voices for cartoon movies. Yes. I actually would love that, would've would've been been that been the job best as well. Job ever. Yeah.
2: That'd be such a fun job. Yeah. 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 Okay. What would your count ca- if you were a cartoon character, what would your voice sound like? Would it just be a regular voice? Um Hi. Oh. No. Like a little kid? <laughs> well it That's depends good. what I was playing. Like give me a character. Okay, you have three eyes and octopus legs and you're actually really nervous but you come across tough. Go. Okay.
1: <laughs> oh, Hey, guys. uh, Oh, they just rubble us a little bit. (laughs) That was amazing. Seriously right now. Where's the door? Help me. (laughs) (laughs) Did you say where's the door? Help me. (laughs) Oh, my
2: God. We get to turn this off now. That was it. This isn't going to get any better than that moment. We're done. Good night, guys. (laughs) Can I give you one? No, I can't. T- I can't beat that. You can. No, that was so good. Okay. I don't want. Let's leave it there. Oh. <sighs> my day just got so much better. Oh, I'm really glad I could help with that. Thank you.
1: Okay. <laughs> oh, I wanted to talk about. Okay, I me and Darlight another movie night because that's what we do. Um, that's what you do when you're old. Movies um, are my friend. Okay, what was it called? So Russell Crowe was in it. Oh, that and was And like, yeah. he was like, he was like, had like. Insane road rage. And he was super fat. He was, I think which it was. Which is fine. Like,
2: I'm fat now. I think cool, but it he, was like
1: a fat suit. Bullshit.
2: He is legit that big now. Okay, let me look the up the last what it's time called. I saw Russell Crowe, because <laughs> we're friends like that. Last show I saw him in was probably Gladiator. Wait, he's in that, right? Yeah. And he was just a regular guy. And now he, yeah, he looks like COVID okay, hit him so hard. The movie
1: is called. Is it Unhinged? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Okay, so the movie's called Unhinged. We read the synopsis, watched the movie. I hadn't actually, like, heard about it at all. It was insane.
2: It, was, like, it, it wasn't It. was good, really, but it was so f- messed up that you're like, what the... F-? You couldn't not watch it. Yeah, like,
1: graphic, like, <sighs> like, action, like, action, like, a lot of, like, accidents, um... Explosions, shit, and then like gore. Random like, death. Like <laughs> nasty, like very um graphic. Graphic, shocking like scenarios where you're me and Darla looked at each other like jaw dropping, like <gasps> what the what, what
2: the fuck was that? Like it was it was insane. It was insane and it was It was like a bit much. it was unrealistic completely, but it's I mean it, we've watched worse things.
1: We've watched worse things, <laughs> yeah. He was just so brutal and He it. was like monster. He, what he played his role, he played it amazingly. Mm-hmm. Like not quite as
2: good as you just played your cartoon character, character, but th- that's true. But no, he played. It, you hated him, and so you that hated he, did, him, his he, he did, did his job. He did his job. Yeah,
1: you hated him. He looked disgusting, and he was brutal. <laughs>
2: Be nice. Like I said, COVID hits people differently.
1: Yeah. Well, I don't. I think he was. Anyways, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it worked for him mm-hmm. in his role. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm. Hmm. Shall we start our podcast? I guess so. I mean, that's why we're here. Scribble, scrap. Okay, rock, paper, one time. Rock, paper, scissors. Rock, paper,
2: one time. <laughs> rock, paper, paper scissors. scissors. Every time. Rock, paper, scissors. Rock, paper, scissors. Rock, paper, scissors. Rock, paper, scissors. Oh, oh slice. slice. She got me. But Kezia and I always start with scissors no matter what. Every time. I don't, I don't know. know how. I can't not start with scissors, so.
1: Okay. So tonight, my story is a sequel kind of, yet yeah, last week's story. Oh, well played. Um, so do you want to just remind our listeners? So last week, um, I did a story about Andy Bruce, a prisoner that was in solitary confinement. And the woman that was killed in the escape was Mary Steinhauser. And she was an advocate against solitary confinement. So in researching that story, I came Upon this story, and I thought that it would be a really cool one to do, and it actually is super freaking interesting. Cool. So let's hear it. So, I there's gonna be points I think we're gonna wanna talk about this, um, which is fine, but I think at the end we can have like a proper discussion.
2: Are you trying to tell me do not not to interrupt? No,
1: you can 100% interrupt, okay? okay. Um, <laughs> but I'm gonna leave an open discussion at the end as well, so just Noted. I just wanted you to know that I like it because I like discussing things after with you. As well as during. Okay. (laughs) Um, Okay, here we go. So this first bit I'm going to read comes from evidence from plaintiffs in a trial that was accepted as credible by a judge. So these are first-hand stories, and this article comes from um, a trial that took place, and Andy Bruce was part of it. Part of the trial. Part of the trial. Okay. Solitary confinement is a form of imprisonment distinguished by living in single cells with little or no contact to other inmates, strict measures to control contraband, and the use of additional security measures. Sounds all right, right? Is, it sounds, yeah. It sounds like, I mean, yeah, maybe sometimes they need to be put in there. Well, yeah. Well, here we go. Prisoners held in the BC Penitentiary Confined Administrative Segregation were held in a special unit called the Special Correctional Unit, <laughs> so also known as the Super Maximum Security Unit. This unit was built in 1963 following a riot the year before. Because it was located above the cell blocks, it was called the penthouse. Mm-hmm. It consisted of four ranges of cells built in an H pattern from a small enclosed central courtyard. There were 11 cells in each range, and one of the ranges was usually reserved for prisoners who have been removed from the other inmates after being convicted of a serious disciplinary offense. While in prison? While in prison. Okay. So if you were—you're already in prison, but if you're if you're being bad, breaking the rules, not listening, whatever— you get sent to solitary confinement. It's like it's a basically time- like a timeout like from time a timeout. Timeout <laughs> time from your timeout. From out your timeout for adults. Yeah, another tier was designed for psychiatry, and a third was reserved for protective custody cases. The cells measure eleven feet by six and a half. Yeah, that's not very big. Not very big. And consists of three solid concrete walls and a solid steel door with a five-inch square window, which could only be open from the outside. Oof. So it's basically just a, a concrete cubicle. It's kind of like our pod lab. Except our pod lab's way cooler. But we don't have a window. <laughs> no. But we can get out if we want. I bet you this is 6 by 11. And there's stuff to look at. Like, think about if and there's... like your face. Yeah. And we're together in here. Exactly. I take it back. It's nothing like this pod lab. It's nothing like this pod lab. (laughs) Inside, there is no proper bed. The prisoners slept on a cement slab four inches off the floor, covered by a sheet of plywood with a four-inch thick pad on top. They got a blanket and sheets and a rubber pillow. Rubber. Gross. Why? I don't know. It's like
2: just a crock. lay your head in a a (laughs) crock.
1: A beach ball, yeah, oh, like wow. a deflated beach ball. <laughs> About two feet from the bed, against the back wall, was a toilet and wash basin. And the rule was that the inmate had to sleep with their head closest to the toilet, away from the door. Failure to do this would result in guards throwing water on their bedding or kicking the cell door super hard. Why did like they? Was there a out. reason why they had to? Sleep I like think them? it was f- security purposes, so they could always kind of see where their heads were, what they were doing. There was nothing else in the room and was described as a concrete vault where people are buried. The cells are illuminated 24 hours a day by a 100-watt bulb that was dimmed to 25 at night. It's described as being like the high and low beams of a car. Too bright to have a comfortable sleep and too low to provide adequate light. Time did not exist when you were in there. The ventilation sucked. It was super cold in the winters and too hot and humid in the summertime. And the space between the door caused lots of drafts. The prisoners would only keep enough things in their cells that could fit into a cardboard box, like books, magazines, and letters. That's it. No metal or glass was permitted. They were only allowed cold water. And once a week, they would be given a cup of hot water for shaving. But it was always, like, lukewarm. And they had shared one razor between all Ew. the prisoners down there. Because they weren't allowed to have their own razor. So this caused many skin problems and allergic reactions. <clears throat> oh, that's gross. Right? Yes. <laughs> Prisoners were kept in these cells for 23 and a half hours a day. I was just going
2: to say, like, how do you know that your fucking neighbor, you know, Jeremy, doesn't shave his balls (laughs) with with that that one razor?
1: (laughs) Well, you don't.
2: Okay. You know? I'm back on topic.
1: Gross. So 23 and a half hours a day. That leaves a half hour a day for them to leave the cell. They walk to the end of the corridor to get their meals. And they're allowed to walk up and down, um, up and down the 75-foot corridor in front of their cells. And that was it. That was their exercise. And that's all they could do. They couldn't participate in any other activities. They were just locked up waiting to die, basically. Just kidding. They weren't waiting to die but. I probably felt like that. You're probably wanting to die. Yeah, apparently the radio was manipulated by the guards so that it was always on static. I hate that. That is the absolute worst. That's thing. something that would like, make me go crazy. I would definitely sure. I would definitely lose my mind. And or they would turn it onto like foreign radio stations, so it would be in other languages that they couldn't understand. I could handle that. I think I couldn't handle. This. You just teach yourself Spanish, That's right, or I mean, German
2: like, or something. Sí, si señor. <laughs>
1: That's all I know, <laughs> right? I, mean, I, I should <laughs> listen. That's all you learned in school. Okay. They didn't have the same visitation rights. So if visitors came, they had to speak to them through a screen and their conversations were monitored and then upon like leaving the visitation, they would always get like pat down and frisked even though there was no clearly not contact. any reason. Yeah. yeah, but that was just you know part of the the rules. So they had no contact. They were handcuffed to a restraining belt around their waist. They also didn't receive adequate medical attention. One prisoner claimed. So I'm going to read this word for word as he wrote. During this time, I suffered mental and physical abuse. I was placed in the cell with nothing in it but a hole in the floor for a toilet. I was confined to the cell for 30 days without clothes, no shower or washing, no exercise, and a restricted diet. I was also subjected to being sprayed with a chemical mace and given a physical beating. As a result of this, I attempted suicide on numerous occasions. Finally, I slashed myself so bad I passed out from blood loss and had to be taken to an outside hospital for blood pressure. For a blood transfusion, I regained consciousness to see the hospital room full of guards. I was in a state of shock, thinking the prison guards were going to beat on me again. I jumped from my bed in fear and dove through the window. As a result of this, I fell four floors, breaking my back in three places. Oh my God. Yeah.
2: Oh my God. And he obviously survived to write his letter, but. Yeah.
1: Did he go back into confinement? He did, yeah. So so this is so this is like where it gets controversial, I think, you know what I mean? Like I understand the system and how it should work, but this is like a whole other level of like humanity and like, you know what I mean? Listening to it
2: like him describe that, I mean, yeah, that's not there's that's not the way you treat a human. That's inhumane. However, I then get pulled to what did that person do to get there? Like, I mean, like, what was, I mean, not his whole life situation, but what was his specific crime? Well, the thing
1: is, so this is why I want to discuss it after because I have so many things to say about okay. this whole thing. So, yeah, I'll just keep reading and then I'll I'll say my piece and then we'll we'll talk about it. This guy stated that he had extreme difficulty obtaining proper medication and treatment for his broken back after. So he was pretty wrecked. Another prisoner became delusional in thinking there, that there was a machine in his cell trying to get him. He claimed this machine had held him while another prisoner slashed his arms with razor blades. This never happened, and this delusion resulted in him setting his cell on fire to get rid of the machine. Wow. He was said to be unfit for solitary confinement by a psychiatrist, but soon after that, he hanged himself there. So they didn't even take him out? No. I I think, yeah, if they had taken him out sooner than later, he probably would have been fine. But I think there's, like, a whole process to all of this. Right. You can't just take him out.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: He tied a thing around his neck and just laid down and died. Tied a thing? Yeah. So that's how he hung himself, whatever the thing was. Then they just threw his body on a blanket and dragged him out of there with his arms and legs dragging on the floor. Uh-huh. So that was a an account from another inmate that saw this. The humiliation and degradation of the prisoners, the frustration, the despair, the loneliness, the deep antagonism between the prisoners and the guards are intensified. The separation from the ordinary prison. These are all the worst things. The guards sometimes pointed their rifles right at the prisoners' heads and sometimes clicked the hammers of their guns. Just to scare them. Yeah, which I think is super messed up. Here it is. There's, like, the fine line between the guards abusing their powers and, like, in their minds they're doing it because they think these guys deserve to be down there and because they but, can. It's like a be- god complex thing. That's, no one's going to stop them from terrifying these
2: people because they sure. they
1: have all power. They have power and they justify it and they have no yeah. But I mean, it's like these guys get sent down to the conf- solitary confinement. I feel like being in that cell is enough. That's and now punishment. they're doing all these extra things. Yep. Like it kind of makes me mad. There's a movie called The Stanford Prison Experiment. So, if you guys haven't watched it, it's kind of this whole situation made me think of this movie. So, it's basically like they do this experimental test where they have um, the subjects choose whether they want to be guards or prisoners, and then who the, would choose prisoners? Um, I don't. Well, I think people do, or they put prisoners in there. I think most of them chose to be guards, but then so they they have these rules like you can't hit the prisoners. But then it's like as soon as they get that like that power they abuse it and it's and it's like an experiment and it gets super out of hand and it's just a crazy movie i'm gonna watch it i think it was based on a true story don't quote me on that i'm quoting you (laughs) so these guards played games with the prisoners and you know claiming that it was justice but justice is not violence one prisoner described how, once he was returning from a visit, the guards would skin frisk him in the central control area in front of as many as eight guards. He was made to strip, open his mouth, lift up his balls, and spread his butt cheeks while they made humiliating remarks. They asked him if he wanted a razor blade so he could slash himself up like his friend. Oh. I mean,
2: the skin frisk, I feel like that's everybody else's punishment as much as his, like...
1: Yeah. That's messed but up. But then they, like, take it a step further. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's not it's not necessary. <laughs> the guards would tear gas them just for no reason. One prisoner got gassed in the face, and he developed a rash, and his skin peeled off. Ugh. The gas got on his blankets and his clothes, and they were not changed or cleaned. So, like, I, I'm sure that it's much worse in other parts of the world, and I feel like there are articles about... You know, in the states and stuff like that doesn't make this situation. It doesn't better, right? make it okay. no. So solitary confinement has many effects on mental health, such as anxiety and stress, depression and hopelessness, anger, irritability, and hostility, panic attacks, worsened pre-existing mental illness, hypersensitivity to sounds and smells, problems with attention, concentration and memory, hallucinations. Paranoia, poor impulse control, social withdrawal, outbursts of violence, psychosis, fear of death, and self-harm or suicide. It's like you're setting these guys up,
2: these prisoners, men and women, up to do worse. Yeah, like in turn like hurt themselves. You're setting them up to create more problems that are just going to end up giving
1: them less options to make good choices. Exactly. Mm-hmm. The physical health effects... Are chronic headaches, eyesight deterioration, digestive problems, dizziness, excessive sweating, fatigue and lethargy, heart palpitations, hypersensitivity to light and noise, loss of appetite, muscle and joint pain, sleep problems, trembling hands, and weight loss. Weight loss. Well, other than
2: that, that second half really sounds like a regular Wednesday for me. (laughs)
1: So just change it to weight gain. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> change weight loss to weight gain. And that's my that's day. That's my Wednesday. <laughs> so what I, like, this is how I thought of it is, like, it sounds like if hell had a waiting room, it would be solitary confinement. Like, if there was a lineup to get into hell, this is what it would be like. Jesus. Right? Yes. Like, that's how bad yeah. it sounds. So the UN, the United Nations, Mandela rules prohibited mm-hmm. solitary confinement to no more than 15 days and prohibited it for people with disabilities. Even 15 days is... is a lot. So long. But obviously, like, not many prisons follow these rules. Clearly. Right? Well, I don't know. Is that what they're saying? Um, yeah. Okay. Some people would be left in solitary confinement for up to a 1,000 days. Okay, this... 1,000 days? 1,000 days... It's like over Until they end their life. Or like hundred. another one was like 162 days, but they end up killing themselves. Well, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, anyways. Solitary confinement continues in Canada under a different name. In November 2019, Structured Intervention Units, SIUs, were implemented by the Correctional Service of Canada in federal prisons to replace the old solitary confinement system, and a bill was passed. So, they would now get four hours outside their cells, hmm. opportunities for meaningful human contact, more programming, and more health care interventions. The vast majority of people held in prison will eventually be released back into the community. Yeah. Right? So it's in the best interest of the public safety to ensure that during their incarceration, broken people, more broken people. Exactly. More broken than before. Yeah. They should receive adequate and meaningful opportunities.
2: Wait, can you imagine how angry you'd feel? Like, it doesn't, okay, uh, regardless of whatever you have done to get to that point, how angry you would feel when someone treats you like you're less than any other like you're a dog you're garbage you're not even a dog you're You're gonna
1: go out into the world and you're gonna why would you
2: care about anything anymore you wouldn't if that is what you've been through now yeah because they're not going to be in a position to be like well you know you tortured me for 86 days but that's because i did this one thing that was bad like that's not how their reasoning would go right they've been just stripped of any sort of yeah hope for you know
1: there's good in the world there's no
2: good in the world after you've been in a situation like that
1: 100% no so yeah they should address the reasons why they ended up in prison in the first place and so at the end of the day it's all about rehabilitation and not destroying what's left of a person that did a bad thing Mm -hmm. okay so now let's discuss thoughts on this so I agree with the prison system i do not agree with solitary confinement i think a lot of the time they end up there because maybe they'll say something to a guard to piss them off and because the guards have the power the system is a bit corrupt you know then they get put in these situations like these prisoners could be in prison for like a small misdemeanors you know what i mean right and the system is supposed to rehabilitate prisoners not not like shatter their lives Right. I mean, I, in this particular this whole situation. time, what
2: I would come back to is like, if this person that was in solitary confinement had done something awful to my child or my loved one, then would I feel different about what is happening to them in there? I mean, I think so. I mean, I don't like to say that, but if if one of them had hurt, you know, murdered one of my children, do you think I give two shits what happens to them in solitary confinement?
1: No, you probably don't.
2: But and that is where these guards are coming but, but from. But the
1: problem is. Why did they murder your child? What is wrong with that person? There's something wrong with that person. That's the problem. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah.
2: I don't think people should be abused. I think people need to be rehabbed or met where they're at. So, yeah, if this person is some sick, twisted individual that has no hope of actually getting better, do I think they need to be tortured to the end of their days? No. No.
1: They maybe they deserve to be there, but it's like doing all these extra things to them is unnecessary.
2: No, it's it's a gross like misuse already, of power. They're
1: already gonna die there. You know what I mean? Maybe, maybe not. Get festering ball cancer.
2: Oh, that's if that's the one wish. If I could just <laughs> hand that
1: out. But I don't know. It's
2: it's fascinating and that's an awful hard. situation to put your mind into and, and try to Yeah. The thing trend. is it's not black and white. There is no solution or an answer. And uh,
1: it's just, yeah, it's just, it was just very interesting to me. And um, yeah, so, so I got my <laughs> information from justicebehindthewalls.net, medicalnewstoday.com, an article from August 6, 2020, policyoptions.irpp.org, an article from November 2020, and theconversation.com, an article from October 27th. 2019 that was very interesting because thank you so much you are welcome break time break time
0: hi it's rebecca from radio face stories this week's shout out goes to local business sage and ember sage and ember sell a whole range of different smudging products they sent us a little package that have these really cool floral and crystal adorned bundles and they are adorable they're beautiful very colorful and they smell so good they make great little presents so check them out on their instagram they're called sage and ember vibes or if you're on facebook again they're called sage and Ember vibes thanks so much sage and ember we can't wait to give these guys a try enjoy the rest of the show
1: Oh, I thought you said I like giant meat things. <laughs> I do love a good meat snack. I like meat like snacks. a pepperoni snack. snick a pepperoni stick or beef jerky. Can you go get one of those right now for me? You have pop sticks. What? You have pepperoni sticks. I don't have anything like that. What did you? What did I you meant, want me like, to get? go to the store and get it for me? <laughs> oh, I thought, it's like you want I'm a just, meat. Just, what? I want a meat confused. stick. Yeah, I'm so confused. Is your story like lighthearted or dark and stormy? Unfortunately,
2: mine is sad. <laughs> okay. It's not even Dark and I could handle Dark and Stormy better than Sad, but I find this one important to talk about. This is a missing persons one, so she is still missing. This specific story has been done probably by most true crime podcasts that do uh, missing covering missing people. But I thought, yes, there's lots of other stories out there. There's lots of information on this, but it needs to continue being talked about. It needs to be out there. So I feel like we're doing our part by covering it, even though... It, I'm probably just saying the same thing that you could that's hear okay. anywhere, That's but okay. we can discuss it after as well, which adds to it. So, Okay, my story is on Emma Philippoff, who has been missing since November twenty-eighth, two 2012. So Emma, she's actually a little bit younger than us. Emma Philippoff was born in Perth, Canada. Did you know where Perth is? Pardon me, we have a Perth here? I know, that's, okay. I was going to make fun of you, but I felt the same way. It's in Ontario. I did not know this. I th- I thought Perth was, like, somewhere far, far away, like, Ireland. <laughs> or in Australia. Yeah, like, I have no idea. Yeah, Perth. Okay, so Perth, Canada, is uh, a town in eastern Ontario. So she was born June 1986, so she would be, what, 34 right now. So Emma always wanted to live out west so in the fall of 2011 at age 25 she made the move to victoria which is on the southern tip of vancouver island near where we live where we went on our mobile podcast trip we went to victoria we went to victoria southern southern vic she had no home or job lined up when she planned to move Um, she decided that she would just figure out things when she arrived a close friend of emma's said that emma told her she felt like something amazing was going to happen to her in victoria And that was why she wanted us to go. At first, she lived with a childhood friend for a few months before moving into another unit in the same building. By winter, she had gotten a job as a barista at a coffee shop. So cute. Yeah. She's settling in there. Yeah. Enjoying her Victoria life. It's nice in Victoria. It is nice. Yeah. Unfortunately, the job didn't last long. And after two or three months, it is said she developed more of a transient lifestyle. She stayed at another friend's house for a little bit, and then she lived at Hotel 760. I don't think that's how you say it. I've never heard of this place. I don't mm-hmm. know where that is in Victoria. So she stayed in a hotel where she also was working as a maid for another short while. She then stayed at um, several different boats, like people that ha- own a boat. Yeah, she'd stay with them and even slept in the forest. And it said that she's even slept in trees. She really? kind of just was like a bit of a hobbit and... She Just, didn't want
1: to, like, have she a didn't, solid home?
2: No, she didn't want to settle. She didn't settle in. She moved around, and I don't think she wanted to live a, a typical life, you know, a conventional life. She did her own thing. Gotcha. From February to November of 2012, Emma ended up staying at the Sandy Merriman Women's Shelter, which is also in Victoria. Mm-hmm. It was at this time that she got a job at the food truck called Redfish Bluefish, which is in the Inner Harbor. Have you been there? No. I have been there. It's actually delicious.
1: Yeah? What is it, like fish and chips? It's like seafood
2: and all that kind of stuff, yeah. And it's actually super popular. It was on one of the, like, must-eat-here Canada, like, Food Network shows. Yeah, and it's pretty delicious. So Emma's job at Redfish Bluefish was a seasonal job, and it kept her employed until October 31st of that year. 2012 and then she was expected to return for employment in february of 2013 so during this time while living in victoria and victoria emma communicated mainly through like, cryptic and poetic emails to her family they're <laughs> fairly upbeat but they were very broad yeah she just kind of sent like weird poemy beautiful little bit mixed messaged emails nothing like clear right none of her family know- knew that she was staying at a women's shelter she didn't really give them any information about her, what was going on in her world at all, but she did just keep in touch. Um, occasionally called on holidays. She was known to be very, very private. Okay. Emma enjoyed spending her time with the homeless community, boat owners and artists and street performers that frequented the Inner Harbor. Uh, if you've been to Victoria, the Inner Harbor has this beautiful area where, depending on the season, they have people selling their artwork and performing. And, it's, yeah, it's a beautiful, beautiful place to walk and, and all kind of folks. And so it, it makes sense that that was where she's gravitated towards based on the explanation of her. Mm-hmm. She was described as free-spirited, adventurous, giving, and creative, and soft-spoken. She was independent and also very private. She was a skilled chef, photographer, and artist. She loved to write, and she maintained several journals and even had a blog at some point. Hmm. So she was known to be incredibly kind and trusting, but she was highly sensitive to people. So that makes me think she was very uh, intuitive and, and empathetic. She liked to care for others, especially the elderly, children, and pets. It's clear that she preferred nature to city life and she often was seen walking barefoot around oh. the city. What I find really interesting about all the information in this what, out there was often we do stories where we don't have a lot of information on the person themselves. We have what happened and on all this you know, the scenario, but not so much about who they were. And so this is really, for me, helping paint who this person was.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So although private, like we'd, I'd said, Emma adored her family and friends. But was known to have an aversion to intrusive questions, so her parents often avoided asking her things because it often led her led to her being agitated and then just not really keeping in touch again for a while. And so they didn't really push, you know. Right. Yeah, she didn't have a cell phone. She didn't have social media or anything conventional like that. She and she never ever shared her inner thoughts or struggles with anybody. But she had friends. Yeah, she yeah. was kind. Um, and people were actually quite attracted to her, her personality. Many people in Victoria knew her, um, but she only the whole time she was there, she only had one intimate relationship, and it was brief, like three months. And it ended on a mutually okay note. Everything was fine, but it was just a short. Mm-hmm. You know, she wasn't really, really close to anybody. In the summer of 2012, Emma started to focus on a healthier lifestyle. She stopped drinking, smoking, even cut out coffee and sugar. It's reported that none of her friends had ever seen her take any kind of drug, and she was also a vegan. She began to eat less and less and drink a lot more water. A friend mentioned that she almost became monk-like in her social and eating habits. She became worried that with the upcoming winter, she didn't know where to go. So she was done her—this is the summer, mm-hmm. so the October she was going to be done her work, and she didn't know what to do kind of after that point, and it was starting to irritate her, I think. Shortly before her disappearance, she began to distance herself from others, and people noticed her becoming kind of fearful and paranoid and more withdrawn. So there's some red flags kind of mm-hmm. popping up. Emma did talk about her desire to travel a lot. She seemed to be preparing for some sort of move. In November, she had told a friend that she was leaving Victoria possibly heading to Salt Spring Island or Tofino. There's reports of other friends saying she had told them that she had planned on going sailing on a boat to Mexico or heading to San Juan with a man that she didn't know very well. Others said she had told them she was moving to California or Costa Rica. She was going to travel uh, travel Japan with her dad, visiting her aunt in Lanceville, which is quite close to where we are, yeah. living off-grid in the woods, or even moving back home to Perth, Ontario. Hmm. So it seems like she didn't really know what she wanted. Right. Things got a lot worse come November of 2012. The decline of her mental health was very apparent to anyone that knew her. Journal entries suggest that she had been privately struggling since the age of 11 with her mental health. Her quiet nature enabled her to hide her inner turmoil. A childhood friend that she had lived with for a short while had noticed her rituals of obsessively making patterns with objects such as feathers, rocks, and food. She even at one point got so concerned that she contacted Emma's father, who then contacted Emma and asked if he if he could fly her home so he could, you know, make sure she's okay. And this upset Emma so much. And she said, no, she's fine. She doesn't need anything. Like she I think that her friend went behind her back to talk to her dad when she's so private. It was very upsetting for Emma. Mm -hmm. And Emma's mom and dad are, are divorced And so Emma's dad never passed this information on to the mom, so she never knew about this, that the friend was that concerned. Right. Emma's playful and friendly behavior took a dramatic change. She became more and more distant and withdrawn and refused invitations to go out or go traveling. She canceled plans last minute and seemed fearful to go anywhere other than the pier or her shelter. Shelter staff noticed this as well. They recognized signs of depression and paranoia. She kept the curtains closed in her room and frantically moved furniture from the shelter room to the curb outside, claiming that the furniture was making too much noise. What? Two weeks before she went missing, shelter staff contacted the police to request a mental health check on her, worried that she was suicidal. The police took the information and said to call again if there was anything else happening and they never came and checked. Yeah, I guess it wasn't enough for them to figure it out. A friend of Emma tried to help her spend some more time outside of the shelter because she wasn't leaving very often, and she encouraged Emma to call her mom, which she finally did on November 23rd. Emma made several tearful calls to her mom, and her mom tried desperately to fly her home, which Emma would always decline. So she had this pattern of phoning her mom in the evenings, crying and saying she needs help and she wants to come home, she doesn't know what to do. And then her mom would say, okay, I'll, I'll arrange it, I'll get you home. And by the next morning, Emma would call back and say, everything's fine. No, 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 no. And so she did this, like, for, like, four days in a row. Really? Yeah, four times this, like, back and Why forth. Why did they just come get her? So that's what finally did happen. Okay. So on November 28th, um, after the night before she'd called her mom and said she wanted to come home, she phoned her mom saying, don't come, mom, not today. And that was the last phone call her mom ever received from her. Mm. Her mom didn't like the sound of her voice and immediately booked an airplane ticket there to good, Victoria. Good. Despite, I think I read that her family wanted her mom to leave Emma alone and she wants to be independent and, and to give her her space. A mom knows. But the mom knew. and yeah, she yeah. So she didn't even say anything She after she got that, you know, her, her saying. She called it like 4.30 in the morning and said, don't come. And she's yeah, like, okay, yeah, and she is coming. I'm going to go. According to witnesses, Emma went to the shelter at 6 p.m. on the evening of November 28th. The staff apparently told Emma that her mom was coming, which really upset Emma. Oh, no. She became very anxious and stormed out of the shelter. Her mom, Shelly, claims to not have told the shelter that she was coming. So they're not really sure why, how that message got, got through like that.
1: Weird. I wonder if they were like monitoring her phone calls or something. I don't, It's
2: bizarre. Shelly arrived at 11 p.m. that night and learned that Emma hadn't come to claim the bed. The police were called at 12 p.m. to report Emma as a missing person. So what had happened previously was because Emma didn't have a cell phone, she often phoned her mom from the shelter,
1: mm-hmm. and
2: the call would come up as Sandy Merriman, which was the name of the of the shelter. So trying to get a hold of Emma when she was worried, she called the shelter, not realizing it was the shelter, until they answered the phone, and that's when she found out that her daughter was staying at a shelter. She didn't know. Right, Okay. This is kind of a breakdown of the timeline. So November 28th is the date of disappearance. So it starts with 4.30 in the morning when Emma calls her mom and says, don't come. And Mm -hmm. her mom books the plane ticket anyways. At 8.23, Emma is captured on video at the 7-Eleven on Douglas and Humboldt Street. She uses a debit card to purchase a $200 prepaid credit card. She's seen carrying several bags and an orange purse. And she's acting anxious. She's kind of hovering near the door and looking out the window. At 10 a.m., an acquaintance of Emma sees her from the bus he's riding. She's on Pandora Street, and he decides to get off on the next stop and run back to see her. And as he approaches her, she's just standing there motionless and doesn't really engage at all. And so he has to, like, stand on the street to, like, peek in at her and see and ask if she's okay and if she needs help. And he, she just shook her head slowly and said no. Around noon some people have claimed to see her seen her at the library which she often would go to. Early afternoon, um she was seen again on Pandora Street and a uh, friend from friends of hers, they came again to see if she was okay because you can just see her standing there hovering and she was apparently shuffling around moving really slowly. So the friend asked if she was okay and she said she wasn't feeling well. And the friend this guy that was a man, he said, "Would you like a hug?" and she like recoiled like backed away from him and looked Uncharacteristically horrified, like whatever the offering the hug absolutely terrified her,
1: what? and
2: yeah, and there was another friend at the like there was two people there at the time, and they both noticed this and thought it was very very odd. um By that afternoon, two more people had reported to see her on Douglas Street, looking so confused and lost that they called police to report it, and that's the first time someone called nine one one. So the day she went missing on the twenty eighth, so that at noon, from between four and six p.m. A person spotted her on Douglas Street, again, slowly shuffling around, and she gave them a sad smile. They felt so upset about it that they had, they went to um, the Victoria Police Department headquarters and reported it. Like a saw, random stranger. They, yeah, that they saw this woman that looked like she needed help. 5.45 that evening, she used a debit card to purchase a prepaid cell phone at the same Seven Eleven that she had got the credit card. After the purchase, she kind of lingers at the door nervously as if afraid to leave or that she's like, like she's avoiding someone. That cell phone was never activated. At 6 p.m. she stops at the shelter. That's when she finds that her mom's coming and she storms out. Someone that also stays at the shelter tried to chase after her, but they, they lost sight of her.
1: So... Is that the first time she found out her mom was coming? Yeah, six, okay. six, so, 6 p.m. Okay, that night. Because I thought it was earlier, and then she was like planning to leave town. at No, like so everything
2: something. up to that point was just what was going on that day for her. Okay. 6 p.m. that night, the night she goes missing, it was when she found out. Right. So 6.10, uh, she had called a taxi. The ABC taxi company came and picked her up, and she asked to go to the airport. And on the way, she changes her mind and gets him to take her right back to where he picked her up and she pays a $60 fee but she was acting so bizarre um, that the driver noticed the behavior and also reported it. Okay. 6.15 an acquaintance sees her barefoot on the corner. He tries to help and she becomes increasingly uncomfortable when as he tries to help her. So he calls the police at 7 p.m. and he waits for them to arrive. At 7.17 the police locate her and she's Uh, clinging onto her shoes so she's standing barefoot this is november right at night they assessed her for 45 minutes um she wasn't really answering she nodded a lot uh took a long time for her to even tell them what her name was but they decided that she's not a threat to herself or anyone Hmm. she did say that she was going to meet a friend so they watched her walk away and that was the last known sighting of emma oh no A search team of friends and family and volunteers scoured Victoria and the communities of Vancouver Island, and they eventually included all of um, British Columbia mainland and locations across Canada and the U.S. The Vic PD dive team searched the Inner Harbor, found nothing, and there was a private investigator that worked for a year on this case and could not locate her. In 2014, the CBC show The Fifth Estate launched a Finding Emma media campaign on Twitter, Facebook, and national TV, And despite a 25,000 reward, there has been zero confirmed sightings of Emma Filipoff. If you have any information uh, regarding the disappearance of Emma Filipoff, you can contact Crimestoppers at 1-800-222-TIPS or the Victoria Police Department. You can send tips via philopoff at bell.net. To follow Emma's case on social media, there is a Facebook group called Help Find Emma Filipoff, and that has tons of information on there and updates. So I got my information from that same group on Facebook. Help find Emma Filipov. Uh, Help find dot com. Wikipedia, and I listened to the podcast "Down the Rabbit Hole" episode seventeen on her, and from the podcast "The Vanished" episode one hundred and two, and that is the very sad story of this girl.
1: That's great, Darla. I don't like it. <laughs>
2: no, it, I don't like it's it
1: either. It's like it's like you are like, hey what like what was she experiencing um was she suffering from like mental illness what you know what I mean that's I mean there's so many questions
2: it's very clear that I think it's very clear that she definitely was suffering from some sort of mental health issues but it's like she fell through the cracks I know that she was private and she tried to hold it together and she didn't share any of this with anybody and that was you know being private was fiercely important to her but she still fell through the cracks somehow. So,
1: but like, okay, so how do they, they have very specific, t- timeline super specific, okay? So then how do they lose her just all of a sudden? Yeah, where did she go after that point? Where did she go? How come there's no more the po- She walked away. No more video footage. Like she just vanished into thin air. Like someone saw something. That is just, it's, it's crazy. It's mind boggling. And very sad. It is very sad.
2: So I, know, I did read that at some point her, the credit card was used. It was flagged that used at a gas station somewhere, and they hunted oh. it down. But it was a, a, a man, a, a stranger to her, that happened to find it. He said he found it on the Galloping Goose Trail, which is a trail in Victoria. People walk and bike. Um, but that's what he initially said, and then he came back and said that he was actually – in a really bad spot, in a big drinking binge, and he didn't recall exactly where he found it, but it was—he remembers it being in its plastic case—and he just took it because it was a prepaid credit card. So he found it on the ground somewhere, but he's not sure where. I I have not heard of this story. Yeah, its I, I definitely had. I've heard it a few years ago, and I just think it needs to always be talked. It needs to be talked about all
1: the time because it's because it's unsolved. And... It's it's out there, and
2: and someone like you said, there is there's got to be more information.
1: Yeah, I just I, I how do you, how do they have such a good timeline of the events and then nothing like doesn't make sense. Yeah, good good story, good job, good storytelling. Okay, let's do a cheers. And that was an uh, aggressive cheers. I like. Sorry, it. That was I was good. just trying to reach you, guys. Guys. Ladies, tell us what's up, gents. We're having a great time here. Send us more emails. I know we say this at the end of every time, but like, it you know it it means so much to us, honestly. When we get when we get messages from friends, from listeners, it's like it's very exciting. We share it with our group chat, which is just me, darling Rebecca, (laughs) (laughs) and um, it it's really it just. It, it lights the fire. It, makes it us, lights the yeah. fire. It makes us want to keep doing it, and so we really enjoy hearing from you guys. So keep it coming, and uh, yeah, you guys are awesome. And thanks for sticking with us. Yeah, happy day to you. Happy, happy day. Happy night. Thirsty Thursdays. Ooh. <laughs> and whiskey Wednesdays. And wine Wednesdays. Oh, that's even better. And tantalizing Tuesdays. Tequila Tuesdays. Ew, never. Caesar Sundays. Fuck yes! Salty Saturdays. Ew. <laughs> <laughs> Sleeman
2: Saturdays.
1: Radio Face Fridays. <gasps> Fuck yeah! We have we need to have. We need to make a Radio Face drink, a martini. We need to make a drink, and we need to make some shirts. Well, you were making shirts. Someone's making shirts. Someone's making shirts. I heard this really hoodies. this really dope company named Screef. Screefwear. Yeah, if you guys haven't heard of Screefware, they're local Vancouver Island company. Incredible. Check them out. Check them. Um, at Scraveware on social medias
2: Do it. At yes.
1: Scraveware.ca. Um. Yes. Well, that's it. Y'all, thanks again for joining us at week
2: 49.2.
1: 99. <laughs> Bye.